0: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate.
1: Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am Ben Myers. I'm joined by my co-host, Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve?
2: Hey buddy, it's going, uh, you know, still live. From lockdown, week six here, uh, not bad, not bad, hanging in there. This novel Thanks. coronavirus is really uh, getting to everybody, whether you have it or not, eh?
1: Well, it's good that we have the support of Karen Stevens Mortgage Capital as our sponsor, a leading non-bank lender based out of Toronto, Ontario, with offices in British Columbia and Alberta. Cameron Stevens focuses on mid-market development deals specializing in land, development, construction, term and bridge financing. CSMC currently has $1.5 billion of assets under management made up of institutional and private capital. If you are interested in information on how to invest, contact Steve at scameron at cameronstevens.com. I've heard of this Steve fellow. Is that uh, Steve Camp or uh, who is that?
2: Uh, Steve Steve Camp, let me tell you, also uh, a legend, uh, but not not as legendary as the one Steve you see who you follow on Twitter, one of your favorite Twitter follows, you know, every day chipping him, chip, chip, chipping away at the old uh, trying to keep up with Bed Myers.
1: Chipping away. I saw you, what, 668 followers now, you know, yeah, I'm getting, getting up there. Yeah
2: not even close though to the amount of followers as our uh, our today's guest has on instagram we'll pay you that for free wow yes yeah, so so introduce our guest i'm happy to do that i'm happy to do so this guy is uh is one of the uh one of the one of the most fun guys i know he's always you're always going to have a good time when he's around so i am excited for him to join us today because i am sure it is going to be very entertaining uh he has accomplished an accomplished real estate and infrastructure developer, as well as a business builder with over 25 years under his belt. So we are in for a treat. This gentleman is a true scholar. Uh, He started his career in commercial real estate and subsequently founded, built, and sold one of the country's most successful renewable energy development firms. Following that, he joined the family business in the footsteps of two amazing generations of astute and sophisticated developers ultimately becoming the president of Stafford Developments in 2015. Stafford, with its sister company, The Goldman Group, has deployed over a billion dollars of equity capital with current managed assets over $2 billion on behalf of its investors. But it's not only development, this guest is special because he's been recently involved in building multiple new businesses, including a cannabis venture fund, a technology infrastructure business, an international cannabis company, a Canadian retail platform, an entertainment company, and a CBD CPG business. And on top of of that, this guy still finds time to sit on multiple boards and support some amazing local charities. Ladies, gentlemen, listeners, children of all ages, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Toronto Under Construction podcast, Mr. Johnny Goldman.
0: Wow. What an introduction it sounds like I'm important <laughs> <laughs> and I, I gotta say you're way too kind <sighs> um, Vince, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know not only are you guys uh, are you both friends but you know you're um, serious industry professionals and I love all the work that you've been doing uh, for many years and I work with both of you and uh, you know I'm a, I, I, feel, I feel I feel some of the stuff you were saying before about this being a tumultuous time. It is a challenge for everyone, but I think that it's our duty as uh, business leaders to keep positive and, and keep Absolutely. pushing. this is a, a temporary moment. It's a temporary blip, and you know if you actually study history, these things have happened many, many times. And uh, you know it's a it's uh, what well, we studied in high school. It's a Malthusian check. In order to keep us as humans in check and keep us reminded that life has um, work and we focus very, very hard on what we do. But life, you know, uh, life seems to uh, show you sometimes that there's things that are highly important, such as, you know, your family and that life itself is is really um, and living it properly is really the most important thing we're doing. So, you know, I I just want to remind everybody that, um, you know, this too shall pass. And, uh, it's, it's our responsibility to help those that need our help desperately. And there's a lot of people that desperately need our help right now, but, um, at the end of the day, we're, we're not taking a vacation of any kind. We're working almost, uh, twice as hard, just making sure that things go, uh, ahead as planned on schedule. And, uh, we're, we're going to be closing homes this year and we're going to be continuing on with our lives. And, uh, I feel very, very sad for those that have been lost. And I think it would be your, it would be, you know, it, it would be bad for us to not take this opportunity to reflect back and then work as hard as we can to come into this thing running, which is what we're doing. Uh, I love so it. And uh,
2: well said, very well said. So that's a good, good way to open, and I think we're finished. So uh, thanks yes. for joining us, and uh, you know what an episode eight. Episode eight was a real banger. <laughs>
0: I didn't say a once.
2: <laughs> well, so, well, before, yeah, let's see, well, yeah. See, yeah. Why you like to usually like to do is kind of you know a lot of the guests that we've had and and you in particular uh sorry ben if i cut you off listen we're recording at home the internet is choppy this is not the 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 ideal circumstance so bear with this. with the sound and and right now you
0: look cool (laughs) you're either some you know billion dollar esports player or some global famous dj um you know my work my work from home attire has uh has slowly become more casual
2: every day i the, the, the days of suit and ties seem so foreign to me honestly the idea of putting a pair of uh dress shoes on right now or a belt i don't know it sounds, <laughs> sounds daunting. belts anyway, are overrated <laughs> honestly I, honestly i'm so,
0: worried about the waist but below you can't see below my desk so whatever i know <laughs>
2: I know. I know. So, so listen, getting back to what I was going to say, we usually like to start these uh, these podcasts cause you know, you are a, an accomplished uh, man and uh, business owner, but you obviously came uh, from somewhere and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, maybe where you went to school, how you got into this industry, what you did before school. Um, in particular, you know, I want to touch on, you know, I know you got, you were in the brokerage business to begin with. Obviously you you have a, a family lineage of uh, of real estate and uh, development. So um, obviously it makes sense, but just how you got started and uh, maybe we'll talk about this first, uh, the first venture as well, uh, being the solar business. So give us, give us a bit of a background.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, solar business is just, uh, not, and not uh Argue with the introduction. It was very beautiful and nice things you said about me. But you know, I, I don't know where all these, you know, different bios on different pages and different places sort of paint different pictures, right? And the reality is that, um, you know, I was I was working for a long time before that one individual business that we that I was in for a few years. Um, you know, and it was it was front page news. So people often talk about it just like they talk about um, my family and, and the cannabis infrastructure ventures that we we've been. Um, undertaking for many years. But, you know, I come from a real estate background and my family is also in real estate. I have um, incredibly smart, older um, people in my, in my family that have given me guidance over the years. Uh, my father, Gary, and my grandfather, Murray, um, from a very, very early age. Uh, I, I mean, really early, like literally when I was a kid. Um, and then even formally giving me jobs as early as 11 and 12 years old. Um, in different parts of the industry to start my learning process. But I remember as a very young man, my grandfather driving me around in what is now Thornhill and what is now, you know, uh, the Burbs and different parts of Scarborough showing me big empty swaths of land that is now are just big communities that people live in. And so I've been educated to the process uh, from a very young age. Nobody ever pushed me into the business. It's just a it's just a matter of the fact that I was, I was um, experiencing this and I was learning from, um, my dad, my grandfather. And I just, you know, I I always wanted to be like them. So I was learning as much as I could, but I was into many other things and they didn't push me to go into the real estate business. I was in the film industry for a while. And at the end of the day, I just kind of organically fit into that place. And I started, uh, in my teenage years and I went from being, you know, really low, low end, uh, Clerical jobs in the office, whether it be just uh, running things uh, back and forth when it was the days of faxes, and you know you were actually delivering things to the city in terms of the, the planning process. To you know physical jobs on site, I worked in uh, one of our lumber yards every single summer. I never really did the whole camp thing as a kid. A lumberyard?
2: Uh, did you work in?
0: Uh, it was called Woodland Home Centers. It was on Logan okay. and uh, Leslieville. And many years later, I, you know I was working there if you really want to talk dates i was i was working in the summers from like 91 92 93 in those years and then you know that my father and my uncle and my grandfather owned it so i was really just a guy loading people's cars and i i love that job i was getting tips and they put me on the desk and i was basically taking lumber orders from all the all the trades that would show up so i memorized and i was really quick to understand all the different kinds of wood and what it was used for and and uh, the different kind of building products that people were buying on a daily basis, doing odd jobs, uh, everything from odd jobs to full-blown sites, because we were we were a source of that product uh, for all those products in that area. But um, years later, Home Depot actually moved in <laughs> around the corner, and uh, so it's funny, you know. Like, I think it was, you know, at least 20, 20, at least twenty years later, we developed the site into uh, a townhome development called the Film District Lofts, wow. and uh, sorry, Film District Towns. Uh, I sold all of that out of the lumberyard, so we actually turned part of the uh, the lumberyard into a um, into a sales center that I manned by myself as an agent. And you know, when I was in my teens, I was working. I, I had a job working for Milburn as a salesperson. I remember I worked on an Edelcan project at 1121 Bay with a guy named Ken. Uh, I think his name McCurdy was his name, and I was kind of like his assistant. And uh, I was probably like 16 years old, and so I was in. Um, you know, I was in sales and brokerage and I was learning about the industry and I actually got my real estate license when I turned 18 and, uh, I didn't really want to go to university, but my father, um, you know, was, uh, was my dad's a genius. So like, he was smart enough to know it wasn't really the education of university I needed. I was just a kid and I needed to grow up and I need to live on my own and, you know, gain world experience. So he basically said, yeah, you don't want to go to university. That's no problem you know, just, you got to get out of the house now and good luck. And by the way, your car lease cost this and apartment will cost this. And you know, what did Collier's offer you as a first year salary? Oh yeah, that'll cover nothing. So, um, he's like, I have an alternate, uh, an alternate plan. You can go to school and I'll pay for your school and you won't starve to death on the streets. And I was like, I think I'm going to choose that option. <laughs> so I, I went to Ottawa, I went to university, but, uh, reality was I already had my real estate license and I already had a job at Collier's. And so I did all my schooling just so that I could get a degree. I grew up a little bit. Um, did you work at Collier's during university? Was that, uh, yeah, where? So I did one, one summer there. I, I had a, I had a lot of different jobs. I, I worked on different projects for different builders. I'd worked for Monarch I'd, I'd worked for a couple of the builders uh, as well. Um, and so afterwards I, I went back into brokerage and you know, I was in investment sales and I was trying to get deals done and uh, I was learning as much as possible. And, um, you know, for years I, I was, I was a real estate agent and then eventually I took a job working, um, with my father and, uh, I was running different projects for him and I just, uh, I was always pretty, you know, entrepreneurial as a young guy. I was, I had a bunch of side businesses when I was younger that I could go into, but I'm not going to, and, um, you know, at, at that time I saw that there was shifts in the energy space and a friend of mine who worked at Bell uh you know he he sent me some information about the green energy act that was being written by george smitherman who was the minister of energy and infrastructure at the time and i saw that the actual renewable space related incredibly uh it just related a lot to the real estate space in terms of the distributed energy you know rooftop solar kind of projects that i was looking at you know ground mounts a total different business but when you really look at the rooftop solar business all you're really doing is creating ancillary income for the landlord the way that you would do like signage or something else like a cell phone tower. So uh, our business model was simply just going out and leasing as much rooftop space as possible. I partnered with a large, um, a large uh, electrical firm uh, run by really, really competent uh, guys. And we built a company at the end of the, uh, I knew that the feed in tariff, which is a fit program was being released. There's a specific quantum of, Um, you know, peaking power that you can actually give to intermittent power such as, you know, solar or wind. And uh, all the baseline will always have to be nuclear and hydro in Ontario. It's just a fact. We need our lights on, you know, when we want them on. So all we were really replacing was coal and we knew that. And so we had, it was basically a race. And by the time they gave out the first batch of contracts in Ontario, uh, we had 63% of the market share. We'd done our job and all we had to do was at that point, Um, you know, I actually exited the business and sold my interest in the business. I didn't sell a company. I just sold my piece of the business. What year was that? Uh, it was 2000, 2001, something like that. Okay. Wow. And, um, so I took that money and I was going to go back into the real estate business, which I really never left because all of my contacts were all real estate contacts and all of the dealings I had were all, it was just really as a real estate professional telling other like-minded uh you know guys say hey this is how we uh mitigate the risk of doing any damage to what is your primary asset which is the tendencies below the roof let me help you with that process because you're going to get calls from a million people and people came in from europe and the u.s and all over the place and they thought they were going to come into toronto like the americans are hilarious they thought they were going to come into canada you know elon musk's company solar city and sun edison all these companies called me And they they couldn't understand how we thought we were going to gain people's business. These guys were Americans. Obviously they'd want to do business with them. They're from California. They know everything, right? They're going to, they're going to show up and they're going to tell these big families that own millions of square feet. They're going to tell them that they need to be better people and that they need to do something that's good for the world. And I just knew that was, (laughs) I just knew that, you know, businesses, you know, these people are charitable, but they're not going to use their main core family assets that are, multi-generational sources of money to fund you know charity right so i explained it more from a business standpoint as to how these how these companies could make money and do a good thing right and uh at the end of the day we got like i said we were one of 300 companies and we had 63 percent of the market so it was time for me to exit i did that i took that money and i started looking at um, building my own development business and um my I remember it was very funny. My mother calls me up and she's like, you got to go meet with your dad. I'm like, why? I'm like, why? And she's like, well, you know, you're not going to build a third. My grandfather already had a development company. My father had a totally separate company called Stafford, which um, he and my grandfather owned 5050. And I was going to go, I don't know. I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to intrude or whatever, but my father loves me a lot. And uh, he called me up and he said, we should just partner instead of you going off again because I'd always worked for him I learned so much from him and I owe so much to him but I you know I want to be my own guy like every cocky young guy uh, uh you know I just wanted my own thing but at the end of the day I made the right decision and we partnered on our first couple sites together you know he brought a uh, incredible uh, retail plaza opportunity that's still amazing to this day out in Mississauga that we own together and um then I I threw a it's funny enough, through a through a charity that I used to be the chair of, the, the manager of that calls me up and told me that his mother owned a piece of real estate right at St. Clair and Avenue Road, and that he wanted my opinion as to which of the three offers they were given to purchase this. And this was 200 St. Clair. I don't know if you guys remember this. Yeah, yeah of course. And, uh, he said, I, I want your opinion. And I said, I can't give you my opinion. He's like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to give you an offer because I want to buy that from you. <laughs> I go, what are you calling me for? I go, that's what I do. He goes, oh, I, I thought you did like bigger something. I'm like, no. I'm, uh, and it's a, it's a good size site. It was a really amazing site. So I literally just asked them what they wanted. And I showed up the next morning at Bagel in the village, and I brought my dad. And we cut a deal there for the exact price that they wanted. And uh, we never looked back. It was uh, it was a, it was an amazing win for us. The counselor uh, in that neighborhood is a is a very anti-development, anti-growth, anti-capitalist guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I couldn't I couldn't say bad things about him compared to some of your other guests. I'm sure just I don't dislike him in any way. I kind of I like that he's a passionate guy, but he's a passionate person who's passionate about what he wants, which is the death of every developer coming into his neighborhood. <laughs> um, who, who you know, is, are, you, are you gonna tell us who this was? Yeah, uh, yeah of course, okay, so it's, uh, you know where it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I, you know which counselor I'm talking about. I don't wanna, I don't wanna call him out, but um, think about Forest Hills Council, And it's very funny, Like we showed up Your to- Your prerogative,
2: you can, you can call out whoever you want, we're not gonna yeah. force you to. No, I, if, if anyone wants to look it up, I'm sure they can.
0: Yeah, anyway, Josh, I'm not gonna name him, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> shows up at the first community meeting and I kind of like I was excited I like I wanted to be his friend and little did I know yeah,
2: don't well for you did it
0: I'd never met him before so I just assumed like we were gonna meet and that he was gonna and I knew that he you know because of the dealings he had on the on with all these other companies and everybody called me and warned me about him and um I just don't I just don't live life like that I really truly believe that we build one of life's essentials, uh, essential necessities in shelter. And I, and I didn't grow up thinking like, hey, I wanted to make lots of money. I grew up thinking like, hey, this is awesome. Guys who are developers or women that are developers are cool. You know, I, I even remember a day when, you know, the whole world hates Donald Trump. But I remember as a kid reading the art of the deal and like thinking like, oh, one day. He's I'm a
2: gonna- genius, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm like I'm gonna look how cool developers are. Look at my grandfather Murray's the coolest guy I've ever met, right? And and I didn't know how mechanical our our jobs would get over the years, and simply that we've become these manufacturers, and that so much of what we think is like you know beautiful about our business and entrepreneurial and artistic has been completely thrown away by the way that the regulatory obstructions have been placed into the system in Toronto, and the kinds of people that we need to you know I want to say. Do business with, but it's almost more so that we have to overcome and appease in order to be able to be allowed to do what we do every single day. And honestly, if like if you don't love what we do, don't do it. There are so many more easy ways with less risk, with less personal risk, it makes money more money than yeah. being a developer in Toronto. You know, I, I don't know that I would ever tell a young person again that this is like a, you know unless you really love it, you shouldn't be doing it because the way that we treat developers and the way that we treat private development corporations in the city of Toronto is, um, is, is horrible. I mean, so,
2: so, 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 you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you later, but I'll just ask it now is, you know, what would you do differently? You know, if you were, if you were either mayor, premier uh, or prime minister, I mean, where, where have we gone wrong? I mean, what has gotten in the way of appreciating the fact that, you know, this is a great city. We have a lot of immigration, obviously we have a supply issue. And in, in my opinion, that's what's driven prices to where they are today. Um, but yet, everybody is against creating more supply and they call it density, but it's the same thing. So, you know, what, what level has the red tape in your opinion really just taken over and, uh, made your life something that you're calling mechanical now?
0: Well, listen, it's not totally mechanical, but,
2: um,
0: <laughs> It really
2: struck me as a mechanical guy.
0: I'm not, I'm not because we, we really push the envelope in terms of designs. And obviously, uh, the Picasso project, which was built a few years ago, looks beautiful and we're very proud of it. And, and it's, it's, it's not that I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to not be cocky about it. Like we, I think us as a business, we are doing as much as we possibly can to create beautiful, you know, visuals within the skyline and beautiful places for people to live. But you know the the fact is, as a society, you know, and and I, I think you guys both. Uh, I sent you the uh, the article that Mark Anderson wrote last week about uh, the fact that we need to build more. And Listen, build- and I was
2: actually we're jump we're jumping all over the place, but I had that uh, <laughs> for one of for one of my questions. Yeah, and I was going to just talk a bit, a bit about him and. Who oh, so the so co-founder of, of uh was...
0: your question without that i would say
2: no no I, no let's jump into it. i love it listen sure. I, I think this is this is this is natural flow and i think that uh I, the only thing i was going to say for those who don't know who he is he was uh one of the uh the founders of netscape right who's and it was later bought by alo i think or aol and uh he's got a, a vc firm but he wrote a great article called it's time to build johnny shared it and uh i shared it subsequently with a bunch of people in my network. And I think it was well-written and brill- brill- brilliantly artic- articulated. You know, he's right.
0: He's not a real estate guy. It wasn't a real estate article.
2: It, it and not- it was very neutral. I mean, it was politically yeah. neutral, which I liked about it too, because I, th- I find a lot of these
0: development at all. But it was, and- it was a commentary from a macro level about how we as a society have let the rest of the world surpass us in certain aspects of yeah, life. It, we as a
2: society as North Americans.
0: Yeah, and in Toronto, it, it is not complicated, right? We do things, you know, the politicians do things to, to simply get themselves elected. And I am, not, I am not arrogant enough to think that I should be prime minister, but I don't think that our prime minister is the number one person in all of Canada to lead the country in an unbiased way, right? And I think that the nature of the people here and their attitudes have to change a little bit. If you don't like how expensive housing is and there's clearly a supply issue, why do you fight density? And what is so bad about density anyway? Why would you live downtown Toronto and then fight density? If you don't want density surrounding you and you don't wanna live and breathe in this growing metropolis, don't live where it should be. And the problem that we have here And the problem that we have with the transit infrastructure and the problem that we have with the pricing and the problem we have with the protraction of the process to the fact that none of our buildings get, you know, we can't do anything within the the realistic and reasonable amount of time it would take in order to deliver units to provide for the amount of immigration being allowed into the city. And I think that our politicians do a great job from a social level. I think everything from, you know, everything from our healthcare to, you know, Every I'm a I'm a social liberal, right? But you can't you have to be conservative from an economic standpoint. And right now, you know, as uh Anderson put it in his article, like we're just surrounded by in Canada, crony capitalism and regulatory capture. And there's no better examples, you know, than um, things like our telecommunications industry and the fact that we have. You know, you go down to the U.S. and there's just an endless amount of financial institutions, and there's just an endless amount of options for your cell phone bill.
2: You don't it's, think five uh, banks is enough and three cell phone
0: companies? Exactly. <laughs> three exactly. is there three? So there's um,
2: three, two maybe.
0: Yeah, like when I'm when I'm building a building, I'm interviewing. Sorry, I'm meeting with two companies. That will put their their infrastructure in the building. That's ridiculous. There is no competition, and these are government-sanctioned monopolies. And the re- the reality is that the development business it deals so much with city with the cities that we are the easy target for them. And why? Yeah, uh, I don't I don't even mind honestly. I don't even mind the costs of what we do, and they are exorbitant, and they are f- reflected in the prices of the condos. I, I care about the line. I care about the image that is painted of our industry from politicians that have nothing else that they can complain about. And there's people that wake up in the morning and there's people that complain and critique like our counselor that we discussed from Forest Hill. Yeah. And then there's people that just wake up. When I wake up in the morning, I don't think about putting you down. I just think about how can I do something positive that day, you know, to, to build something and create something. And that's just too much of the population of the country. And I think we need to refocus ourselves and we need to make education more um, you know, uh, available, you know, I mean like very good education to the masses. And I think that we need to just be truthful. And, you know, honestly, if we have a supply issue, there's, there is something that has to be done. And I don't know why people are so anti height, anti density, anti everything, you know? And, uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're creating so many jobs and we're, we're putting so much money back into the, the city,
2: the city and the system. Oh, absolutely. You know, the
1: the, the the
2: politicians have, have
1: done a really good job of kind of changing and shifting the narrative away from, you know, housing being something to, you know, to house people, to create jobs, uh, to, you know, how much is the developer making, right? You know, how how many shadows? How what, what damage is this, you know, development gonna to do to our you know, to our area, you know, that, that certain counselor, he'll say, you know, it's too tall, there's too many people packed in, the infrastructure is, is not there. I say, well, why, why don't we fix the infrastructure instead of uh, stop building homes? So, oh, you know, too much ownership, we need a rental, and then someone proposes a rental building, and it's, well, these units are not affordable. Um, and then he wants to chop off another five, ten. Floors off the building, and then wonders why a developer (laughs) needs to, uh, you know, to to increase the the prices of those units uh, in those buildings. So it's you know, it's unfortunate that people have accepted that narrative that you know developers are just greedy. Um, And then when something like this happens, a pandemic where uh, you know a lot of a lot of developers are going to be in trouble no, no one's talking about them, the the need for them to have been greedy and, and their units quickly going into this, uh, into this event. Anyways, it wasn't much of a question there, but more of a, more of a, a a comment,
2: but, uh,
1: maybe just, you know, maybe it's not like
2: you don't deal with this online every day. Every time I open up, uh, some sort of social someone's bad-mouthing you about being pro development i mean you take it pretty hard and it's uh, it's almost like you're defending the industry and you're not even a developer
1: i i i, de- I defend the industry because no one else is because if, if a developer um defends themselves well they're you know it's their self-interest and and yes i do a lot of my work in the development industry or most of my work in the development industry i do some work with just you know landowners but we need places to live all right and yes it's every time someone says these new homes are not affordable, I say, How do you how do you think they should be affordable? What should we cut? Should we, you know, build, you know, lam should it be laminate flooring and eight foot ceilings and, uh, and white appliances? Should it should, you know, the developers make less money? Should, you know, should we pay people less than the minimum wage that work on these projects? Should we use cheap materials from, uh, you know, third world countries? Where do you think you should, uh, we should cut cut them, right? And it's, well, they, the solutions are just pay less for land, you know, take less profit. And I say, well, you know, well, some of these projects that are being built right now are being built in a less than 10% uh, profit, unfortunately, for, for some of those guys and given the, the amount of risk that goes in, involved in some of these projects, you know, that's, that's certainly not enough, but uh, yeah. unfortunately there's not enough people like me out there defending the industry and, and trying to put it in its proper
0: context. Yeah. I don't think that that even the counselor that we've mentioned a few times, I, I, it's not his, I I don't want to like, I know that he's like the guy that our industry knows is going to like try to be difficult with us, but it's not really his fault. He represents a public that thinks a certain way and he's doing his job to represent a certain, you know, a certain piece of the population. I don't think it's a hundred percent of the population, but it's the vocal percentage of the population that has nothing better to do and is maybe unhappy with their own existence and they're out there yelling and kicking and screaming and that's fine, but You know, the notion that we could build um, and make less money is actually a a financial impossibility because if you actually take the projects that we're doing and take this government-run financial system, we can't get things financed. We can't get the construction financed if our projections look different, you know, if they look less profitable. That's just the way it is. There's certain minimums that we have to make as a threshold. Interesting.
2: I'm just going to touch on that quickly because people, I don't think people understand that, but literally as an example of it this morning is a deal that we looked at. We have an investment committee we meet twice a week and we go through the different deals on, on the agenda and, you know, bare minimum if, if a project isn't making the developer 10 to 12% bare, bare minimum, it doesn't have a sniff of getting approved. And that's through us who's an alternative to the banks. If you want bank financing, yeah. I mean, we need to, you have to be showing IRRs or, or at least bare minimum profit margins of 15 to 20%. And the reason for that is, is because <clears throat> things happen during construction that wipe out that profit number and slowly, you know, one cost overrun or one delay. I mean, look at what's going on right now. All of a sudden, who do you think was underwriting a deal six months ago, approved a construction loan, was anticipating potentially a six month shutdown? Nobody, right? Like these profits get eroded and, you know, one, one issue at a time. They they disappear, and uh, you know I, it drives me bonkers too. And I know Ben, you would you would say the same thing. It's yeah, you have to you know these these developers are making oh so much money. Yeah, well, what about the risk associated with that return, right? And it's it's never a, a fair comparison.
1: Yeah, and 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 I mean we've had twenty five years of a fantastic market in uh, in in Toronto, and, and and I'm you know have my fingers crossed that we bounce back from this current uh current market but you know i have friends that were in the development industry you know their fathers in the development industry in the 80s and and they came very close to going bankrupt at a lot of these companies right so it's a leverage industry it's a it's a high risk industry and and uh you need need the type of stones that jonathan has to uh, <laughs> to be in this type of business i you know having a small taste of being on the development side I'm like, I can't take this. It's not even, and it wasn't even my money on the line <laughs> and, and all the hoops that you guys have to run through the politicians. They just, they're holding up the little hoops, jump through this one, jump through this one, jump through this one. Della Belfort dance, dance for me, dance for me. Okay. Now we'll approve your project. Now go out and sell $250 million worth of condos uh, <laughs> and then get a finance and then build it and, and, and then try to, uh, um, close all these units. So yeah, no, it's a, it's 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 a very interesting business, and it takes it takes a different individual to be uh, to be a developer. That's for sure.
0: You're forgetting about the restrictions we then have when we go to try to sell our private products. Like the funniest are the simplest, just on you know the rules about putting a frames out or the signage regulations, hey. the way that we put up our hoarding on sites. I have to only. Like I don't think the public really realizes is when I'm putting up signage on our private land, I can only actually put up a very minimal amount of information about the actual project itself. The rest has to be local artists and things of that nature. We're not even allowed to promote or conduct our like general daily business of the way that we would normally do in any other place on earth. And uh, you know, I didn't mention, you know, afterwards we just got going, but you know, we've built many other businesses in the past 10 years and we built my family built uh, was the founders of the largest cannabis business in Canada, and we're now using cannabis profits to backstop real estate. And it's not because real estate is such is a
2: is is it to backstop though, or is it? to I mean, I don't think that that's fair to say backstop because I mean, you guys are, would would are self sufficient on the real estate side. It's not like you needed you needed to pull the money out of the cannabis business to grow the to save no. the real estate. But you've definitely, I would say, you've definitely. I mean, you you'll obviously speak to this. Okay. But you've used you've used. You've used the profits out of the out of the cannabis world to help grow the real estate business.
0: Well, listen, I mentioned Picasso before, right? Picasso got voted Project of the Year. It was a, it's a beautiful.
2: Tell everybody, uh, tell everybody what it is for those of us Street.
0: Uh, uh, it was designed by Stephen Teeple and his company, Teeple Architects. It was a joint venture between the Goldman Group, uh, which is my grandfather's business, and our family, and um, and Matt and, and uh, we made a conscious decision to spend. A lot more money on that project because you know Madami agreed to it because obviously they're a quality business run by quality people and they really do care about Toronto and it was their first big tower downtown so I thought you know I think for them they really wanted it to look a certain way and they wanted it to stand out and you know what I don't want to call a sea of, a sea of mediocrity but you know um, you know there's a lot of people that come into Toronto and notice that the skyline looks a certain way and I don't want to blame anyone but um it, it it's a requirement to meet certain financial thresholds, like you've said. We didn't do that on the Picasso. So if we were just a simply a standard business and you know we had not been so hardworking and so entrepreneurial on all the other spaces, would would we agree to a multi-million dollar cost overrun on just the um you know on the forming contract to allow for people to design such a unique tower? I don't know, right? So if we were just a a you know a cookie cutter builder, as we are not we probably wouldn't do certain things that we do, but we, we strive for something a little bit better. And that's why on Avenue road at Avenue and park uh, where we're building uh, a 70 story mid rise building, we decided to not do the conventional, you know, investor based uh, we didn't take that conventional investor based route where we built tiny little units. We built um, all uh, suites that were over 2000, you know, for the most part where our, our median there's over 2000 feet. And these are, it's, it's really a unique thing for Toronto. And right now we're about to launch, uh, you know, a number of projects, hopefully this year. I think that we're gonna come out with, um, we're definitely, you know, cognizant of the new norm right now. We're not building big presentation centers where we're gonna be throwing parties with hundreds of people, but we have a project at Shepherd and Willowdale in North York that we're gonna launch. Uh, and I'm- which you, which you
2: recently had approved at the OMB, correct? Or it, I guess that was, that was pre-LPAT, that submission?
0: Yeah. So Councilor Fillion um, was the counselor in that neighborhood. He, he as well did not want any kind of a building on the site. Uh, it was a, it was a beer store and a pizza pizza um, the, you know, the same councilor actually blocked uh, was trying to block the subway from being built on that strip. So, you know, in terms of NIMBYism, you know, I, I, we, we showed up to the, to the community meeting and I, you know, it's the same old and I think one day and I've, and I've been trying to learn from my grandfather and how he conducts himself because just, you know, he, he says it how it is when he's at these meetings.
2: Hey, why, yeah. don't, why, why, why don't you get, before we do this, tell, tell us a little bit about Murray. The guy's Murray. a legend, an absolute legend, yeah. <laughs>
0: he, he's been, Murray's how old now? So I just hosted his 90th birthday party on Zoom and invited wow. 50 different family members.
2: And- <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah. Murray's, Murray's 90. He's 90. been building since he was, what, 20 in his 20s, 30s? Or what, what, what's his history?
0: So Murray's a real estate developer, but Murray's been in many, many industries over the years. And, you know, he built all the beer companies in Israel. He is one of the founders of the biggest cannabis business in the world right now. You know, he's, um, he's an incredible guy and he's a one of a kind guy. Yeah. Not, um, he's not a person that you really see anymore. Um, yeah, fine. You you know, you can compare him to like global famous people like an Elon Musk or this or that, but he's different than that. There's something, um, there's something, you know, uh, special about my grandfather, and you know his gift to himself for his ninetieth birthday. You know, people talk about wealth and developers. And my grandfather's been very successful, but he spends way, way, way more money. Way, like, I, I don't even want to tell. Like, it could you could not even compare. Like every single one of the, his children and his grandchildren has a nicer car than he does. Like he is not about Murray's more about helping humanity. And is he to, still driving at ninety? No, no, Murray's not like a normal 90-year-old. 90. Murray's 90, but you could put him in a room with people half his age, he's gonna outdo them all. And That's he's still- amazing. Yeah, there, there's a reason I don't work uh, for, or kinda like, you know, I don't, he has his own business. It has nothing to do with me. He, people, he gave a crazy speech when they gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award at NAOP. And I remember I stood up and I made the intro, and then Jane Marshall, who used to work for him, who went on to run Whittington for the Westons, came up and gave a hilarious speech about how if she worked for him and she survived, she could work anywhere. And, then <laughs> and like this, uh, there must've been a thousand plus brokers in the room. And he goes, uh, no script, no nothing. He just, he walks up to the front of the room. He goes, yeah, honestly, I, I don't really want this award. You know, you giving me this <laughs> award insinuates in some way that I'm retired and I'm just getting started. And he then proceeded to tell every real estate agent in Toronto and in, in commercial real estate of any like every single one of them was there. He looked across the whole room and he goes, I just want you guys to know, you're not just real estate agents, you could be more. And he basically, you know, wow. set home. Um, and you know, he, he, he was hilarious. And you know, the funniest part was, this was over a dozen years ago, he's right. He was just getting started. He's done so much since then and he's not done. And uh, you know, I admire him greatly and I'm just lucky to have, him as uh, one of my mentors and to just uh, spend time around him um you know there's so many lucky things that have happened to me that have put me where i am and i'm not uh i'm not stupid enough to think that i got here all by myself and you know my duty is just to work my ass off and make sure that i you know i'm, I'm honorable about that right so murray's uh
2: yeah murray's Sorry, so we, we, yeah no he is a legend i think i think uh, so he's your grandfather and my father. And they, I think they've been doing business
0: for at least 30, 40 years. So yeah, it's, it's uh, my father, Gary business with your dad for at least 30 years. too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. We love your guys and we're, you know, your business is wonderful and uh, we've done a lot of work together and uh, we continue to do work together and um, no, I mean, we're, we've all, uh, I don't know Ben's uh, family background, but all three of us are just, you know, hardworking working Guys, and you know, I'm pretty proud of everything we've done. Brian. Well, let's so, get. Back,
1: let's get. Sorry, Steve. Let's get no, back to um um. You were talking a little bit about kind of the innovation of your firm and doing things a little bit different. The one thing I had wrote wrote down is, you guys kind of went big on on or big or t- took a bet on stacked townhomes when no one else was was really doing it. How did you think that? How did you know that that was going to be a successful? uh You know, built form, I guess.
0: Well, you know, at the time it was, and it was for a few years. Now, nowadays I'm veering away from that model just because of the way the costs went. And Because at the end of the day, the purpose of the stacks and, you know, it's, it's basically just a very low format stick built condominium, right? Um, You know, it's much more affordable when you don't have to do underground parking, but we, we, for the most part, we're doing underground parking. Um, It's supposed to be an affordable product, right? So we thought it fit in certain locations perfectly and it did and it worked for many years but you know things ebb and flow and change and over the years the costs from certain trades they just they just found it more profitable uh to do much larger scale projects because we had to use the high rise trades to do stack projects. If you build low rise it has to be much less expensive per foot to build in order to accommodate for you know the amount of money you're getting per foot in a low rise scenario, right? But if you're building high-rise and the costs are akin to a high-rise project with the densities of a high-rise project and you have that economy of scale. Um, you know, the, the costs have to the, the cost can't match that. It has to match the low rise. And so over the years, the costs increase over and over and over again. And the price that we could sell the homes and the stack downhouses for did not increase because these are in uh, neighborhoods where people need that affordable product. And so the same thing happened. The people complain about the pricing. If we do any increases, we have to sell them for that. And you know, at the time, it was great. And uh, I can't really, uh, you know, I can't really take credit for that. My father Gary uh, was behind that first wave, and he—I'm mean, going to didn't say perfected it, but he—he he knows it better than anyone. And uh, he built those for many years. And we're just—we're doing different kinds of projects right now. The next projects we're launching are all. Either uh, large format mid-rise type buildings, like the next one is a.
2: T- yeah, give us a give us a little rundown of what you have in sure. the pipeline. So, what's under construction right now, and what's coming right. up?
0: So, uh, right now we're building uh, a couple projects, but I'll, I'll name I'll name a few uh, that are going to close in the next year. So, one is Downsview Park. We bought uh, the Stanley Green Piece Number Two. It's two hundred and five homes right on the Downsview Park, which is beautiful. I was there yesterday. Uh, as you guys know, we're part of the essential, uh, uh, the essential businesses list. So, you know, we're going as much as possible. We're probably running at about 85% capacity there. So we're going to be delayed a few months, but we're going to be closing homes starting in September on down And they look incredible. Like we're building 3000 foot homes in the city of Toronto on two Epic parks. And the, the urban park that was built between our site and Mattamy site is just stunning. It, it may be the nicest urban park I've ever seen in Toronto. And, um, you know, obviously I didn't design it, so I'm not taking credit. I'm just I just think it's wonderful. And I was there yesterday and I can't I, I can't wait for it to heat up. So we're building two hundred five houses there. We're completing Avon Park, which is our condo at Lawrence and Avenue Road. Uh, hyper luxury building, beautiful amenities. Um, you know, it's an older clientele, big suites. You had to have lots of dough to buy those because they How were, many how many units are left there or are they sold out? Uh, we have a couple units, so I think we saved six of them we, we we normally don't try to sell out the the project. We want to sell it to a healthy point where we can finance the construction. And I think that, you know, I believe in Toronto and I believe that the city will keep growing. And of course the fact that we don't have a lot of uh, supply keeps the pricing going in a certain direction. And I can't speak to what's going on right now with COVID, but you know, there's just, uh, there's just, there still won't be enough. Right. So I'm a true believer that this is a, this is a temporary situation and we're going to be back on stream shortly. Um, the projects that we're launching that are coming up, we have um, the next one would be a condominium building at Shepherd and Willowdale. It's called 181 East, it's 185 residential units with about 18,000 feet of retail on the main floor. It's going to be an incredible building, tons of amenities, spaces, everything from party rooms. Look, co- looking,
2: for, looking forward to keeping the Cameron Stevens sign on that site. Had it there for about uh, four years yeah. now. Project, right? <laughs> uh so we, we, that's a, that's a partners with Cameron Stevens on that one. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry to
0: interrupt. No, you. It's, it's, <laughs> you guys have been great there, and um, you know uh, the sign is still up, <laughs> so I will not take it down. Um, we have a number of low rise projects in Durham as well. So we've we have a site on Conlin um, that's going to be called Green Hill, coming out probably in the fall, and uh, that's 116 homes there. We have a, we have a few other sites in Whitby and Ajax a beautiful site next to the Trafalgar Castle school in uh, in Whitby and um, that will be coming out uh, probably in three quarters we have another site in the downtown Ajax area um, just over a hundred townhomes there um, and a number of other uh, mid to high-rise buildings so we have so, so
2: what's, what's the uh, plan going forward for new acquisitions I know obviously we're, we're six or seven weeks into, uh, you know, serious lockdown because of the uh, the COVID virus. But uh, are you guys actively looking for new sites? Would you guys buy something right now in this market? Are you probably on hiatus, taking a pause? How are you feeling about new acquisitions? And part two of that question is low rise versus high rise sites, is there a difference?
0: You know, we do both. Um, and obviously people look at these uh situations. You know, I'm 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 cognizant about the fact that we don't know exactly how this is gonna I'm aware of the fact that we don't know how this is gonna play out. But you know, we're always looking at new opportunities and we're always expanding and we're always moving forward and being positive, just generally speaking. So now, you know, there's been a bit of a reset. Uh, you know, we've seen a few defaults kind of happening. I don't think that's COVID related. I think that that uh these companies like you know you see the distressed assets coming out from Crestford and these other businesses those were th- those had problems before right so there was the, there was this path of like 10 years of you know unrealistic purchasing based on what's actually out there and what people could afford that was coming because there was just too much money and you know people were just going further and further with it we we luckily didn't make any really stupid decisions You know, we didn't buy, I'm not going to start naming things right now, but there's a number of projects that were just sort of pieces of land that were sold in the last two years where anybody that's been in this for a long time and anybody that could basically just run a simple pro forma could tell you that those were um, irresponsible purchases. And we didn't do any of that. We don't want any part of that. We we're in this business uh, for the long run. And, you know, I, I, I don't hope that there's going to be a lot of people in trouble I I hope for everybody to be okay but we know that there will be um, a reset in terms of the expectations on pricing and I hope that that old world where the brokers would go to someone and tell them they you know they would they would make promises they couldn't keep in terms of the pricing and the density that could be achieved on the site a lot of these prices were paid and they end up being much higher per foot because the density that they are being told will end up being um, allowed on the site is a totally unrealistic situation given the regulatory climate of Trump. So I think that that's fallen by the wayside. We decided, you know, with all these regulatory changes in the past couple of years and LPAT and all of this, we just decided never to take massive density risk. We're just not going to do it. Or if we're in a manufacturing business, we can't add so many layers of risk. If all of our personal money is at risk, which it is. And Cameron oh. Stevens makes sure of that. Oh, is that funny right? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs>
1: So I do, I do my, hey,
0: going back to my comment,
2: you gotta, have, you gotta have skin in the game and you gotta make yeah. some money and that's how these deals get financed. But, uh, that doesn't, so- uh, that doesn't show up at the city meeting. That's for sure. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. What I was going to say is, is I, do, I do my land report, right. And, and, and some of these, you know, uh, properties sell without a, you know, an active development application. So I work with my, my planner, you know, Batory management and we, we come up with what we think, you know, the application could be on site and i've been doing some like major revisions to that information because you know a site sells where all the towers around there are 12 to 16 stories so we're assuming that you know the developer that bought that property is going to you know put it in an application somewhere near that height and then boom application goes in 39 stories 40 stories so the land price then starts to make sense at 130 bucks a foot or 140 bucks a foot but in reality what we think Fits on that site would mean the site is 215, 220 dollars per billable square foot. So uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, some of these sites that have been bought by by developers or some of them new developers that are going fairly aggressive. Um, you know, if that uh, if, if they have trouble at uh, you know um, just getting their their entitlement in place, but or if we just simply run into the fact that you can't sell. Forty stories anymore you can only sell twenty five stories maybe the the market changes and there's just not as much demand uh, because you know investors drop off a bit, so it will be interesting to see if some of these people regret um, you know some of these purchases that they've uh, they 've done
2: at you know absolutely I think I, prices i think it, I think it'd be uh, irresponsible and and naive to say that people aren't going to regret some of the purchases they've made and reaching for sites that ultimately they're in hindsight, they're going to wish they didn't reach for, but I mean, such is business and that's how this goes. And we're going to, we're going to see uh, we're going to see how it all plays out in the next few weeks. So Johnny, what's uh, if you had to be a, a guessing man or, or if you had a crystal ball in terms of predictions for COVID-19 um, how do you see it playing out? What do we need to do? Or what do you think we're going to do in terms of you know, getting back to work?
0: yeah I mean, I probably would have um you know first week of March we uh sent i t professionals to every single person's home in the company, setting them up with microsoft teams and zoom and and making sure that we could remotely access all the information and work from home so we we went at this fast I'm not you know we don't you know we don't we want to, we don't ever want to be half pregnant in any situation, so I thought that we should have really instituted a shutdown very very quickly. And kept it, uh, and kept it that way so that we like could, right at right
2: at the beginning. You think yeah, I would have done know, it right. At the beginning.
0: That's just not the way that our you know because there's just so many conflicting opinions. I think that this is going to go on still for a couple months. I think maybe before the summer they're going to let people kind of go back to work. Um, I suspect that nobody's going to be back fully. I don't think restaurants are going to be back to what they were doing before numbers wise for, it it could be up to 18 months. It could be as short as let's say eight to 10. I don't know, but it's definitely not going to be um, a situation where everybody is back to work in a month from now and everything's all the same. It's just not, that's just not going to happen. Right. And so we're preparing for that. I make every decision, assuming the worst, we buy properties with the worst case scenarios in mind every single time. And so that's why we're not, we're not upset about anything that we bought and we're actually not in we're in a, we're in a good state. Like our business is, we're we're some of the lucky ones, right? We're doing sure. more we're doing more right now working, and doing more on the charity side than we kind of ever have. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, I consider myself blessed. And I really really feel bad for so many friends of mine and just so many people out there. And I don't think that you know the conversation's not as important at, when you talk about real estate because frankly we're all going to be okay. There's a lot of serious um, serious pain out there. And, um, you know, I, I, I applaud everything that everybody's doing. You know, everybody's doing all this cheesy stuff. Oh, we gave masks here. We did this, whatever. Like the more, the merrier, man. Like we're doing a ton. I'm not going to start talking about it right now, but you know, it's a serious focus of our families. And, uh, you know, for my grandfather's birthday, we made some serious charitable uh, contributions and he, he was the lead on that. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, it's just really, really important that we uh, we cut all the shit, we stop arguing, stop playing politics, you know, provide like, I don't, for the life of me, I cannot understand why the government hasn't stepped up and just started paying whatever they had to print money, buy whatever PPE they need, give it to all the frontline workers, all the hospital staff right away. Like the food banks are in desperate need. The food banks are like inundated with people that are now desperately in need of food. And obviously, most of society is financially hurting. Their donations have gone through the, you know, dropped through the floor. So I, I don't know why in a country like ours and with the amount of money that we spend giving back to the government and, and all of this, then we can't just, just cut the shit and just help the people, you know, because there's so John, many dead John, people out there. John, how can just, I
2: mean, we're on this how, from your, in your opinion, how can people help? Where, where should they be going? Uh, obviously do you think is it financial support that yeah, the food banks I mean, need? How do right. you, you just, you just reach out to your local food bank, who needs who needs the assistance the most? And for anyone listening who
0: wants to help but doesn't necessarily know how, what would you suggest? Uh definitely the food banks in Toronto. Definitely. Um, there's all you have to do is Google. <laughs> you know, you literally have global like celebrity campaigns from Haley Wickenheiser to you name it, donating PPE to the frontline workers. Um, I don't think people should start leaving their homes to start helping physically. I think people need to stay home in order to squash this thing faster. But the people that can donate money, that's very, very needed. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you do want to dedicate your time and you're really, really, um, you know, careful because not everybody has money, there's different ways to do that. That hasn't been something we've been doing because we're working right. Cause we've been deemed essential. So everybody at the company is working. We have not let one person go you know, and, and honestly the government hasn't really helped our business. We don't qualify for anything. And, um, you know we're just we're just making a decision that now is not the time to start taking advantage of this and you know that's a sensitive thing like when we're talking about acquisitions you know we've had uh, bad years and where people play vulture and bought things from us so i saw how it was from the other side you know it's just not our character at the end of the day if there's assets being sold in an open format we're going to bid and we're going to bid whatever that best price is because we're a business and you know we have to be profitable but at the end of the day, I'm not looking forward to taking advantage, but we're definitely not stupid. We're definitely going to be building for the future this year, and we're going to spend resources and energy to do that. And we're only expanding. We're only looking forward. And we're only being positive. So there's tons of places where people can help. But I think you know it's just helpful to be careful. Wear your wear gloves and a mask. I don't care what the government says; it can't hurt to wear a mask. So if you have, yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah. No, I think I think finally they came out said that you should be wearing a mask. It took them a while to actually say it, but they did. And I totally agree, can't hurt. Um, But I mean, at the same time as well, if you have a whole bunch of N95 masks, you have a box of them, maybe you should be donating them and keep one or two for yourself for when you need them.
0: Donating the masks. Uh, So we've been ordering them in, paying an exorbitant amount of money. I'm sure there's a lot of guys, you know, taking advantage of making millions of dollars selling masks. Uh, We're we're the guys buying them. (laughs) Um, We've been donating them. And obviously we're, we were ahead of the curve in terms of, protecting the staff on sites and the workers on our sites. And you know, I show up and they think like it's not a situation where the office staff are all safe and the construction workers are all in danger cause they're on the sites. We're all, we're all in this together. And so if people are uncomfortable, please stay home. And you know, at, by no, nobody, nobody's on any of our sites without all protective gear, the proper, uh, proper bathroom facilities being cleaned constantly. Like we, we've been doing that since before, the government told us to do it just because it had, had to be done. Right. So um, I think everybody should just do their part and hold tight and be patient. Don't rush back out there. Don't do things you don't need to do. You know, don't become a runner this month. If you've never run before, you know, stay <laughs> um, are you there. talking to yourself?
1: I got a question for you. Uh, um, uh, Jonathan, I was, I was talking to Brian Brown from uh, lifetime this afternoon and, and asked him how, what, what he thought, you know, might be a change to the world in the, uh, you know, the, the, the post COVID-19 period. If people, you know, have some of their staff work maybe two days in the office and then maybe three days, you know, at home or four days at home, they switch off with, with some employees and how that might change real estate buying patterns. Does, does that mean I, you know, I don't need to live in the entertainment district anymore or, or on Bay Street or Young Street? Maybe, you know, I can live in, uh, I can live in Scarborough. I can live in Oshawa. Maybe I can live somewhere else because I don't have to do as much commuting. Have you taken any of that stuff into consideration? Um, and, uh, and, and just get your general thoughts on, on how the world might change.
0: And Brian's a very smart guy and, and you know, and, and he knows that uh, things, th- things are not ever going to be the same as they once were. There will be changes. There will be companies going out of business that served a purpose that is, uncomfortable for people now. I don't think it's going to turn itself upside down. I don't think people are going to stop buying condos. I know people aren't going to. There's just too many people and too much desire for movement and change and growth. Um, But having said that, um, if I owned a massive office portfolio, I'd be looking at that, right? Um, People are very comfortable with ordering things to their home right now. So certain kinds of retail is going to change, certain types of Um, You know, like would I like I'm building a co-working space in our new condominium 181 East But would I be building a co-working space as just a regular business right now? And if it wasn't just an accessory to a condominium that the residents could only use I would not be doing that so people have to look at that and people have to realize that there's been a change and and the way that we are all talking right now looking at each other am I gonna take every single meeting from now on when this is back Uh, in person where we're wasting two hours a a day just uh, in traffic in Toronto and schmoozing at the beginning of the meeting. No, we want to be more efficient. So all of this this stuff has just been put into our faces faster than it already was going to be anyway. All this technology was going to come our way. And we were all going to go through this passive path of organic evolution. And all that's happened is that it's been fast forwarded a little bit. That's all. And do I think that people are going to stop living near where they work? No, because they still have to go to work, and they still want to live in certain neighborhoods. But um, you know, things are changing, and I don't have a crystal ball. Nor did Brian, and uh, I know that things will change. But I, I can't really tell you exactly how it's going to go down. I just know that we have our finger on the pulse, and we're not going to, and, and we're not going to, you know, we're we're not going to assume that things were the way they were before COVID. Right? It's it's just different. The way that we're going to launch these new sites is very different the kinds of digital assets, the kinds of interactions we're going to have, the kinds of marketing, the kinds of things we're going to do are very different. And I tell you, but you know, I want to keep that stuff private until we do it. <laughs> I don't want everybody copying us, but I'm sure everybody's thinking about it. There are certain things that are very usable and you know, we take a kiss principled approach to what we do. There's certain basics that you need to cover. And then there's certain noise that's going to happen and certain people are going to start creating certain projects, big products, because it'll benefit them from a financial note, just something new that they wanted to create that isn't actually useful during our sales cycles, during our, um, you know, during one of our uh, sales, uh, when we're making a sale to a a prospective buyer. But, um, you know, there's a lot of other things out there that haven't been used yet. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to create a, 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 a new system that will work in this new normality of ours. So,
2: Johnny, I was on your LinkedIn the other day. <laughs> and, <laughs> Creeping. Uh, it was what does creepy. it look like? <laughs> it was creepy. Well, there's a photo of you You're looking dashingly handsome, but maybe 15 years younger. Maybe we should update, <laughs> we should <laughs> update that. Then I saw uh, your 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 photo is of the uh, house you built in Yorkville a few years ago. It's sort of like, I don't know what you call that, the banner shot, which is, uh, which is a beautiful project. Uh-huh. Then I go down and uh, was looking through your... Uh, your jobs, and I noticed a number of other things that you are currently uh, had as, as as jobs that were x date to present, which means that they're ongoing. So there's CoinScare, Coin Square Mining, which you're the co-founder of. There was La Isla Entertainment Corp, which you're the co-founder and director of. Then there's Terrace Global, which you're the co-founder of Canoe, and Actum, which you are also uh, co-founder of Growth and uh, management of both i believe you want to talk about uh i mean let's let's talk talk a bit about the uh the cannabis business how you got involved and um what you've been doing in the last few years there
0: yeah i mean listen well, i work a lot and i have a lot of different passions and one of them is cannabis one of them is uh, when it says entertainment that's really the f&b businesses that are ancillary to what we do right now and um, you know that that Lysla is a hold co for uh, a place called Bella, which is at 90 Portland uh, in the entertain in the new entertainment district downtown. And that Albert, was re-
2: tell tell everybody about that because I mean you're in the middle of building a restaurant. Obviously, probably yeah. hitting it It must be devastating to you guys. I, I assume you're you're okay, but obviously this is not ideal. No matter who you are, this is not ideal.
0: No, I, I'm lucky. Uh, you know, this is a passionate thing of ours. Uh, I'm not an, I'm not an operator of a restaurant or supper club. Um, Robin, Amanda, and Jeff are the operators. They're as good as it gets. They are behind Val, ALO. Jeff is a, an incredible chef. Uh, the business end of it is myself and Cole Diamond and, you know, uh, Vivek is uh, doing construction right now. All of these other businesses that I'm involved in, I, I only really participate in the real estate and the construction components to those businesses especially cannabis. If you take Canoe, fine, I started that business with uh, our partner, Steven and Mike, but the reality is every single one of these companies has a great executive team and a great uh, group of business professionals running them. I help with the financial aspects of it, structuring the companies, launching them. Um, and, and you know, for Terrace, for example, I help raise the money and we are building. So we are overseeing the construction of the facilities in Portugal. So it's an international cannabis business it is a very simple business it is not about those other cpg products there's no adoption required We're, we we are simply just uh and i want to say like even the cryptocurrency business that i'm involved in with coal called coin it i'm in the mining i mean i own the mining company with coal all that really is is an industrial facility that houses the hardware necessary to um to conduct that business So at the end of the day, I used our construction competencies, our real estate expertise, the fact that we can raise tons of money, the fact that we are willing to invest money and that we know how to structure companies and build teams. And we have lent that to all these other industries. And so canoe is this epic retail brand. That's going to be popping up in the next year. We have many locations. That's um, a partnership and some of the advisors and partners on the business founded incredible businesses like roots and Aldo, and, um, you know, we're very, very proud that we didn't do anything stupid. You know, we're really not, um, you know, it's funny, people think mostly about these cannabis companies and they think about the public markets perspective and people wheeling and dealing and selling things for too much money and irresponsible financial behavior. That's not our thing. You know, we build businesses that, um, that, you know, we want businesses to be profitable And, and we run conservative companies. And from that respect and, um, you know, we don't build companies that one day we hope will be profitable after we take them public. That's a whole other world. Right? So all of our yeah. company is healthy place, you know, Terrace, which is this international company has all the money that we raised in the fall, just sitting there and the burn would allow for it to go on for a dozen more years. We're building out the assets right now, which is going to take up some of the money. And by the end of the year, it's just going to be profitable.
2: Where I mean, is that? Where is that? Where's that one located? Where are those uh, facilities?
0: We, we are in Spain. Um, Uruguay in South America and Portugal is the main new venture. And Jeremy from our offices, who's an engineer and the head of our construction for the Goldman Group side, oversees part of the construction for that. And Adam, who uh, who works with Stafford, uh, also helps uh, with the construction that's about to happen for Canoe and all the facilities. But
2: where's Canoe's? Look, where's Canoe's facilities?
0: The first one you're going to see pop ups right, uh, right, uh, Young and Summerhill area, just north of the LCBO. That's but just I- the
2: retail arm, right, though.
0: Yeah. But I want to be clear. Every one of these companies is run by amazing people that I'm partners with and I'm very proud of. And I and I like to be involved in these sorts of things because I like to be an active investor, but by no means am I responsible for the day-to-day running of any of all of these companies. I mean, they have really, really great, they're really great businesses. And I'm lucky to have started these uh, businesses with my partners. And you know, I'm going to keep actively investing in people that I believe in. And for us, it's like anything we don't really look, it's not specifically about the business. It really comes down to the people, just like Stafford. We, we really make every single decision based on what we want for the purchasers and what they will want. Every single business that I've ever invested in recently, after I became a, a smarter investor, it, it really starts with, do I trust the people running the company and, and you know, how, how good are they at their jobs and how honest and honorable are they? Right. So you know, we're, we're ecstatic. I'm so happy to be who we are, you know, during this time, uh, cause it could have gone the other way and, uh, we're going to keep pausing are keep, keep doing this. Uh, and I think we're going to come out of this, uh, this reset moving twice as fast as we did beforehand.
1: That's
2: awesome. awesome. That's encouraging to hear. Well,
1: so Steve, you had a couple, uh, before we wrap it up, you had a couple rapid fire questions you wanted to, uh, to all do right, Johnny,
2: for- Johnny, you ready for this? You got, uh, you get oh. five words or less.
1: <laughs> no one ever gives five words or less. So No,
2: they never do. Uh, I'm gonna read one and then uh, Ben's gonna read one.
1: Oh jeez. Okay, I gotta
2: find him. <laughs> no, I'll I'll rip through them. Okay, first of all, Mayor John Tory. Uh I ask everybody this. Is he gonna is he gonna retire after this term or or will he come back for another?
0: Five words or less? Do these count as the five words? Oh my god, I'm already up. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah. um. I hope he comes back
2: good answer if you were elected mayor tomorrow what would be your first move
0: elected mayor tomorrow what would be my first move firstly I don't think I deserve to be the mayor
2: Um, me neither me neither definitely just for the record
0: (laughs) (laughs) my first move would be making my father Gary Goldman the mayor because he would be the best mayor ever like I'm not saying this because he's my dad um
1: He's, he's, he's very, uh, he has a political look to him. He's very, very, very polished. Actually, Johnny, like, you know,
2: it's funny you say that because at, at, when we were at your uh, holiday party back when we were allowed to hang out together and face-to-face in December, I think it was, um, I was sitting there with my dad and we were, I don't know, we had gotten into this political debate. And he was going on and on about something. I'm like, you know, you should just run for prime minister. You should just do it. Leave the business and just let like, just you, you got the luck, you got the work experience, you know, you have the, the backing and in, in terms
0: of connections, just, just go for it. It would make you happy. Okay. I know what I would do. Okay. I would, I would end the homelessness in Toronto. I, I, and I know it's like a bullshit thing. I would hundred percent do it. I know how I would do it. I know there's way more than five words, but uh, I would end homelessness. And a big part of that is uh, helping with mental health issues in the city And I think it's disgusting that we live in Toronto and we charge people the taxes, we charge them and we have the world here the way it is. And there should not be one sick person on the street. It should not exist. So that's the first thing I would do.
2: Love it. Not so serious. How many Instagram followers do you have?
0: (laughs) Uh, Not as many as my girlfriend. Um, (laughs) Okay. How many does your girlfriend have? Like over thirty thousand. My sister's over. I, uh, you know, more important than me. Uh, Stafford has seventeen thousand followers. Awesome. Do you run that account? Our, our building business has has uh, seventeen thousand, which is a big number. And we're yeah. actually revamping the entire social media platform between the Instagram, the Facebook, which I don't even use, um, and you know, we don't really use Twitter. But I think Instagram is uh, important. I think people should take note of TikTok not for now, Uh, right now it's being used as a kind of a juvenile tool, but um, you know, so was Facebook and so was Instagram. So I think you should be aware of any new social media platform that comes out that's as popular as TikTok is and uh, not think that just because now it's, it's all young people that are using it. That's going to be the way it is because that's a way to reach people. And those millennials that are using it right now, those are the purchasers of five years from now. You're
2: right. Actually, my, 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 my question was a bit of a joke in terms of number of uh, followers. My next question was what social platform do you believe is uh, going to be the most powerful? So I, that's a great answer.
0: I, I, th- I still think that Google's a great tool. You know, we do, we do, we do a lot of online promotions, but I think that the basic stuff has really worked for us as well. So as much as I love social media and I love these digital assets and platforms that we're on, I got to tell you, like we've sold a lot of homes in the past couple of years. Uh, By billboards and signage, and just you know, broker relationships and doing what we've been doing for many decades. Um,
2: name the pe- name the five people you hate most in this industry.
0: Five <laughs> people I hate the most. I'm just kidding. It's a blanket statement, right? Well, I mean? would be the
2: no. Who would be the one person? Obviously, uh, outside of your father and your grandfather, who'd be the one? person uh that you would like to acknowledge or thank or look at as a mentor who helped you guide you uh through your career through my career five, five words it's, or
0: less really it's really it's really, <laughs> been, it's really been my uh, my parents and my grandfather and um you know everyone i've worked with i've worked with i've just been very lucky you know my business partner steve and i i just work day to day with a lot of people that i respect and that i think are brilliant I'm not going to keep this to five words or less because honestly, that it's just been an endless amount of people that have helped me over the years, and I'm just very, very grateful for that.
2: And we'll finish with this just because the rapid fire, uh, Johnny's not a real rapid fire guy, but if you could give one piece of advice to the young people I was like asking this, who would, what would it be? Obviously, you alluded earlier in this conversation to not getting into the development industry, but industry decide what would, uh, what would be one piece of advice if you could pass on? Uh, what would it be?
0: I was being cheeky. I totally didn't mean that. Um, I, I just meant that it's very challenging, but I think that if I was going to give young people some advice, I'd say, uh, understand that everything being put in front of you is not being put in front of you, whether it's an Instagram post or an article or an ad on TV, it's not being put in front of you to help you. It's being put in front of you because it's helping someone else look a certain way or sell something to you. So just realize that, you know, life is as much, there's many more important things than the amount of followers you have on Instagram and it's your family and it's your well-being, it's your health, you know, you know, treat your body like it's the only one you got and treat your mind that same way and don't lie to yourselves, right? There's there, you just go and work, get up in the morning and just try your hardest. The the biggest crime would be for you to just not try at all right? And don't ever think anything is too hard for you because everybody's going to tell you throughout your life that you can't do what you want to do. And you know what? Reach for the stars, you'll hit the moon. Is It's a it's a cheesy thing to say, but it's true. If you want to be something, I don't care what it is. It's a rock star. It's a developer. It is what it is, right? It, whatever it is, you, you go for it, but try your hardest and work your ass off. And um, at the end of the day, you need a certain amount of energy and time in anything before you become an expert and don't do anything that you're not an expert in. Don't go into pr- profession unless you become an SME in that profession. You want to know all the details and the people that know all the details, those are the success stories at the end of the day. And it's hard work mixed with, you know, a little bit of luck and you'll get there and just believe in yourself cause not, no other people aren't going to be your cheerleader your whole life. You know, that that's a whole, that's what's going on with the millennials. Uh, parents yeah. don't want to down. They want to do this. That's BS. The world is a tough place and you need to understand that and don't ever be shy and try your best and you'll get there.
1: That's awesome. I love it. Well, That's good advice. Uh, if people want to find you, Johnny, where do they
0: uh, Where do they go? Uh, Jonathan Goldman. My uh, email is jgoldman at stafford.ca and my number is 416-461-6100 extension 231. And call me and 100% we're buying deals. So, Anything you want to send me, great. If you want some advice, if it's a young person, just email me. We're always happy to chat. And, um, you know, thank you to you guys for being such industry leaders. And I really, really enjoy this podcast and and listening to you guys. And I hope you keep it up. And and I hope you and your families are really safe.
2: I got one more question for you before we go rapid fire question. Who should be, our next guest who do you want to see on the podcast next i think this ben i was thinking about this oh, earlier. I I this is how this, this is this is how we're this is how we're going to pick our next guest we're going to allow the previous guests to nominate them uh, <laughs> i could go one of i could go one of two ways we need some, so, we, need uh, some fe-
1: we need some female uh, uh content on the show so if you absolutely have, if there's someone that you think we should reach out to
0: i will send you a list because there's there's so many um, and I and I work day to day with lots of amazing female business professionals in the industry.
2: To, I thought for sure you were just gonna say Derek Frankfurt.
0: No, you know, Derek would be great. Um, but he's not a developer, he is uh he he is incredibly important to the industry. You you build a house in Toronto, you're probably buying wood from him. Yeah. Uh, and he knows more people, and he is a character, and he's wonderful. Uh, and I love him. <laughs> he's one of my best friends. But I'm gonna say uh because This individual has put me in this situation so many times and every single time I've ever gotten a call to be on a panel or to give an interview, it seems to be this guy's pushing me to do it. So I'm going to nominate Jared Mankus from Mankus developments because uh, he's done this to me so many times in the past and he's such a a brilliant educated guy and he's, and he knows what's happening and they're doing so much and such a great company. So uh, that's my vote. If you want a list of females, I mean, I, I you know half of over half of the people I work with are, are uh, incredible female business people in our industry so I can I can help you there.
2: Beautiful. Thank you. Well, Jared, I'll be uh reaching out. <laughs> hey, no, he's he's a brilliant mind. He's a brilliant mind and he's super sophisticated, well spoken yeah. and uh yeah, we'd love to have him on. It's a good idea. So, listen, thank you so much Johnny for doing this. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Uh you're a great guy, good buddy and a real leader in this industry and this business and can't wait to see what you do going forward. So thank you. All
0: right, buddy. Take care. Be safe guys. Thank you so much. See you guys. Thank you. Bye.